from a place where the wild animals roam, the carcasses of the dystopian cities that we used to call home. My name is Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturated Life Podcast, episode number eight, with a painter that makes the dystopia beautiful, Martin Whitfoot. It feels refreshing when you kind of come across more, what I would say, sort of like honest personal accounts as to how people arrive at their artwork. You know, once you get to know people who are doing work that you're interested in, you know, you find out that they arrived at it because they're just, you know, personally interested in making that kind of imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find that really refreshing that there isn't a long-winded or almost like institutionalized reason for creating work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but that, 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's only idiosyncratic at the end of the day. It's like subjective what we all gravitate to. But uh, it's nice to see, I mean, like, there, there's just so many galleries and, and uh, collectors and stuff championing their resurgence of this, like, representational art. And I found that kind of refreshing just to be working with and alongside those people right now, so. Yeah, and you're yeah. I mean, you're living in a great area. I used to live in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I don't know, what part of Brooklyn do you live in? I'm I'm in Bushwick, yeah. So I'm just uh, just east of where you were at. I just feel like, um, you know, because I came here kind of to kickstart my uh, my career, and it, it worked in that sense because I've met a lot of really influential people. And all that kind of stuff. So in a way, I gotta say, like, New York is is absolutely amazing, second and none in terms of just getting your your career going. But I think that that uh, you know some people definitely stick around for a very long time but um i don't know i just feel like it, it gets a little too too involved at every turn you know just in the yeah. sense that sometimes I, I have a feeling that that like you know I, I get invited to openings and this whatever i mean there's a lot of stuff going on all the time but but a bunch of stuff that i almost feel obligated to go just because it's geographically i happen to be here you know okay yeah. uh Whereas, whereas it's, it's honestly, it's, it's one of those things where you really have to start managing, like, how many hours a day are you putting in your painting, then you have this thing tonight and something tomorrow, whatever. And I feel like it's it's just simply, uh, just the nature of the city, there's a lot going on. You know, while some of it's un- undoubtedly really uh, useful for networking purposes and all that kind of stuff, I just, I'm kind of at that point where I've just been at it too long, I think. Because I do, I, I mean, I honestly, I love the city, but I, uh, I don't know, I, I've sort of fallen a little bit out of that just, just simply because it's been my one and only uh, uniforms for the last like like eight years or something. I feel like a lot of people have like a, a love hate relationship living there. From when I lived there, it's like yeah. you love yeah, it, but yeah. there's certain aspects you're like, oh, it's kind of grueling. No, no, totally, yeah, and, and it's just the, the thing that, I mean, obviously it's something like a well-known thing about it, but there is this kind of pace to New York where you feel like, uh, uh, you, you know, you feel like like nobody really allows themselves time, like time, real time to kind of like breathe, you know what I mean? Five of the city is stuff that is always on go, like the dial is always turned to kind of like this pace where it's like, it's exciting, I mean, there's, it's undeniably exciting that that at any turn there's something for you to do like there's some kind of stimuli for you to pursue or like some kind of opportunity that that you could shit down but uh you know truth be told it's like I, it's, it's just if that's the only thing like if that's the the one kind of setting you have it on 
consistently, it, it just it starts wearing people thin a little bit. Like, you know, um, and some people are cut out for more than others. But but I think again, like this is a, it just it's one of those spots where I think for anything artistic uh, whatsoever, I mean, it's a great launching pad. Like it's awesome to come, kind of get go through the grind initially, but then eventually when it, when it kind of levels off for you. Um, you know, personally, career-wise or whatever, I, I, I don't know. I've just noticed with a lot of people that I know that people are kind of looking for some type of escape, um, even just a temporary one or whatever. So you see a lot of people going out to, like, art residencies or just just taking a time out and, like, for a year moving out to the West Coast or whatnot. But Do you ever just miss nature? Because, like, I live in Denver yeah. where I can I live in the yeah. city and I can drive out 30 minutes. I'm in the Rockies. It's pretty awesome to have oh, yeah, that dichotomy yeah. right there. Yeah. But I feel like that's kind of maybe what part of my work has been rallying against in terms of the imagery and whatnot, is the, oh, yeah. the fact that I feel so disconnected from the natural realm. So it's something, you know, I, I grew up with it. Uh, you know, growing up as a kid, we had a cottage out in Finland, and uh, I'd be there all summer long. The, the beautiful thing about summer to spend in Finland, too, was that uh, even though we lived on the southern coast of it, uh, just in the summer, you know, the sun, the sun sets, but it never gets quite dark. You know, oh, yeah? it, it's not quite like an Alaskan summer where the sun is sitting up in the sky. But, but I remember, you know, just at, at like three or four in the morning, sometimes we'd be up and it would still, it would, it would just look like an overcast sky outside, you know? Oh, wow. So that's, that's one of the things that was, that was pretty awesome. Whereas then winter, you're getting the very opposite. You have just uh, like months upon months of just straight darkness. So oh, I didn't know that. Strange. Uh, does that mess up your head? Like, does it mess with people's moods and everything, or are people okay? With yeah, it? yeah, yeah. No, totally. They, well, see, it was it was back in the day when I was growing up there. I guess they hadn't quite clued into this idea, but I think nowadays, I don't know if it's you know throughout the country or whatnot, but I know there are certain spots in Finland, for example, where in the winter they um they have those uh, I guess daylight lamps that, that they mandatorily put on for for a certain amount of minutes or whatever during the day for kids at school. Oh, wow. um, I know they do that in parts of Russia and stuff too. Because honestly, like, like I know of, uh, you know, come February or March, or like right now, for instance, like they're, they've just been going through like pure darkness for two months on end, you know? Wow. And it just, it, it does mess up a lot of people. Like I think from what I understand, like, like Finland for a while had one of the highest suicide rates in the world. And I think it's just simply because of that. It's not as if though it's politically or otherwise unstable or like it's not like people have these great problems there. It's just that honestly, man, it's just too fucking dark all the time. Just in the winter time, in the summer, it's just completely opposite. People just it, it looks it almost as if though people switch over to uh, to like speed for a little while, you know. But, uh, <laughs> No, does doesn't Finland have like a really big um like death metal scene as well? Yeah, yeah, no, I think they do. <laughs> like that whole period of darkness, do you think like that contributes to the music as well? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. See that's the thing, like I was too young to uh fully appreciate that that all aspect of culture up there. Um <laughs> I think we moved out when I was like twelve. But, oh, uh, okay. But yeah, yeah, but the thing is uh no, no, I understand that like Scandinavia but also like Norway has really well known like like super death metal bands. Really dark stuff. Uh but yeah, that's that's the funny thing because it's not like you never really hear like Finnish music exporting all that well. Like I, I never 
I don't think in my whole time having moved out of there, like I've ever heard of Finnish bands making a splash on the scene. But so you moved out of Finland when you were twelve. I guess uh, you know I spent twelve years in Finland, then thirteen years in Toronto, and now the rest is in New York. So it's being split almost in thirds. You know what I mean? There are aspects about Finland, for instance, that I really loved. Yeah. Um, and I'm going back to summer for the first time. Like I haven't been in something like fifteen years now, like okay. a really long time. Uh, so I'm gonna go back for a visit, and it's it's just that there's I don't know. Like I I have this feeling that. Honestly, like there's some weird primordial things that we connect with uh, based on where we're from. Even from like an, an ancestral point, like for me, it's, it's I guess it's one of the strange things where I remember like whenever I'd fly back to Finland, even though I had moved over to Canada and been living there for a while, I was like whenever I flew back, whenever I think of sort of certain aspects about Finland, is, is there's something about it that makes me feel like I'm home, even though I know I'm not I'm never gonna live there again. It, it's just that there's something just about like the the, the quality of the light and the way that the, there are a lot of sort of coniferous evergreen trees that and, and a lot of it reminds me of all these like fairy tales and stuff I grew up with with uh, really dark woods and like trolls and all that kind of stuff you know like like there's that sort of ancient feel to nature there like there's a lot of moss covered everything and whatever um, and I feel like that's something that even though it, there's echoes of that in the States, especially, you know, yeah. And in Canada, the further North you go, you kind of get more and more of that, you know, none of those places quite have that same feel. To them. And it's, it's, it's a strange thing to kind of still hold on to, but I, but I think that that's something that I, I certainly still remember about Finland, you know, but, but that said, I mean, as far as where I know I'm going to live potentially for the rest of my life, it's not going to be fun. I, I know that I'm not going to go back there. And I know the same about Canada. Um, for a simple reason, I always felt that Canada was kind of like a stepping stone to something else, but I, but I had no designs for what that would be yet. But I never quite felt that like the Canada was going to be my long-term home either. Um, but one spot that I have huge love for in the States is uh, the Big Sur Park. It's on uh, the California coast. It's just an hour and a half south of San Francisco. Um, anytime I fly to LA, which is where I do a lot of my shows, or to San Francisco, I always make a point of driving down Highway 1 just to get to Big Sur. It's right on the Pacific coast, right? So just the drive there from either direction is is beautiful beyond words. I mean, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly majestic landscapes there, you know, because you have these these sheer cliffs going right down to kind of this, this very big, bold. Uh, but meanwhile, you also have big redwoods, and it, it's just got that kind of, it's almost got like a Pacific Northwest kind of feeling, so they find up by like in Oregon or whatnot, where there's just these huge trees and this very kind of, it's just very sort of powerful, big nature. It always really speaks to me when I get out there. You know, I've been out there, I think, like five or six times now. At some point, you know, if, if fortunes turn that way, like I, I would love to see myself getting out to somewhere around Big Sur because that's felt as close to like what I could call home as any place I've ever been, and I've only ever stayed there for like three or four nights at a time. You know, that's how I felt about Denver. Denver was like that for me too. Like I, I visited here and kind of fell in love with it right away. Just being able to go to the mountains, I had the same kind of feeling being out there. It's um, it's humbling in a way. You know, you, if you go out deep yeah. and you look, you get up on uh, the high points of some of those mountains, and you just look out, and there's just a fucking lot of mountains all around you. That's just all there is, like a lot of fucking mountains. 
and it's it's inspiring <laughs> you know and uh it it's like a different it clears your head you know it's nice to have yeah yeah no totally man well that's that's the thing also colorado i've heard amazing things about it um not least lisa which is you guys uh just lifted some sanctions on a certain that's correct uh, buddy it's awesome but <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I I loved it just the idea that like in a sense like still being in proximity to do a lot of other spots like like it, it just it seems to me like Colorado has that nice mix of both like you're not completely remote but at the same time like you have majestic nature everywhere you know it's not it's not really a place that um, I hear people escaping from so much is escaping too once they get sick of somewhere else. That's what yeah. happened to me. Like I moved out here and then the, like a year later they legalized marijuana and I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> and it's like, this, if, if you, I don't know if you, if you indulge in marijuana, but if you do, this is like a great culture to be in that this in like oh, California yeah. because you have selection. You have like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, no, that, that's, see, that's what we're finding about here. Like it's not, we're not without sort of uh, certain avenues by which to, still get whatever we want as far as like quality wise and whatever but but i just love the idea man like i think that the the day has to come pretty soon hopefully where i mean you know just just statewide uh it's just acknowledged like look like this is ridiculous the the sanctions that are placed on it like it's just it's dumb considering uh i mean considering the fact that there are there are states like yours that are obviously not bothered by one bit. It just seems that that day that day isn't too far from yeah, it's not from happening here too. But it is one of those things where everyone here is like, well, "What the fuck?" You know, like go to Colorado to <laughs> or California to actually be able to pick what I'm getting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, New York. I actually so. got when I moved to New York. I didn't. I didn't have a connection at first, and then I just just thought about going on Craigslist. And I found one of those, like, you know, like off of Half-Baked where they just, you call them and they get you like this weird back and forth phone thing going on. And then all of a sudden somebody delivers some weed to you. But, uh, but yeah, so it has different avenues. But here it's like you have that, you have a huge selection of different kind of indicas and sativas. And you can like, you can find certain strains that match your intellect kind of, you know. So if you, you yeah. can find some that, like for me, if I, if I smoke, it's usually like painting or something. And there's certain kinds of sativas that will just give you that really clear-headed kind of relaxation, but you won't get all groggy like you just want to sit down and watch a movie. You'll kind of feel like you just took a shot of espresso as well. But that's the thing here, too, is, I mean, I guess I could just ask the guy more, the, the dude I happen to deal with once in a while. I'm like, but but it's always like, there's always just some name attached to it as if so that should explain to me what uh, <laughs> what kind of experience I should get out of it. So you never quite know, but that's yeah. probably me just being... Uh, not being resourceful enough to to really look into it, but that's the thing is because there's a huge difference. I mean, between the two, it's like one really is just straight up like like couch sitting yeah. stuff. The other stuff, which I I much prefer in both edible and, and smokeable format, is just something that that is conducive to me working. And I feel like it's it's honestly that it can be very very uh, useful for my productivity in a lot of ways, just in terms of just just kind of like narrowing my focus to what I'm working on, you know? Yeah, as uh, long as you don't get too stoned. That's the whole thing. Like everybody says, like, you get stoned, you want like, You can get too stoned. But if you get that good little, like, even buzz going on, it's very useful. Yeah. Everybody says it's very oh, useful. No, Look at music, man. Yeah. man. Come on. 
All this art yeah, and music yeah, is creating on it, and like it's hard to deny. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing about you know the nature of kind of what I do for a living is because it's never really been something that it to me it's never really been one of those things where where I necessarily want to indulge in it when I'm around a lot of people. Like say like if I'm going to a bar or like a house party or whatever. It's, it's it's in fact it's it's very just conducive to kind of to sharing ideas and whatnot with let's say like other artist friends on like small group basis or just or just flooding myself with inspiration because I feel like there's a there's a kind of aspect to it where I I just feel like it kind of it it really fuels my appreciation for stuff so yeah. whether it's uh, something I'm listening to something I'm watching or whatever. It's, it's still got to be good. I mean, if it's, if it's if let's say it's a shit movie, it's still going to be a shit movie. It's going to be 10 times but there worse. there might be though. aspects of it that are, I'm sorry? It's going to be 10 times worse. Like, there's oh, movies yeah. when you're yeah. high. If you watch a shitty movie, you're like, I can't watch this. This actor sucks. Oh, they look terrible, man. I can't watch this. It's, I'm way more sensitive to that. Like, unless it's just goofy kind of stuff. But I'm very sensitive yeah, to yeah. dumb things when I'm stoned. Because it just uh, makes you aware. Well, and, and that's what I think is sort of the beautiful aspects about it, though, is, is that I, I simply think, think that it, at least for me, I mean, it, it just allows for me to tune my my focus into whatever it is I'm doing. But in a way where I kind of like, I feel my way through it. It's not so cerebral, if that makes any sense. Like, it's it's less sort of thinking and worrying and whatever, and like, like being hesitant about making certain moves, let's say if I'm working on a painting, blah, blah, blah under the influence, I guess, it's like, it, it's certainly something where I, I kind of just feel my way into it a little more, and I uh, I don't pull punches so much. Like, I kind of just allow myself to just trust that my instincts are kind of leading the way. And in, in that regard, I, I, I have to say, like, a lot of the work that I've, that I've done in that state have really, like, things have happened in it that I don't know if they otherwise would have. Because it, it's... Uh, it doesn't limit me in any way, shape, or form, and that's where I think that honestly, like that, that discourse about its legality and, and the stigmas against it, whatever. It's like I understand, like I understand that it's, it's a long road to sort of tread, but but I think eventually will be one. The more people are talking about it, you know that, mm-hmm. and, and that goes for for other things too. Like I think eventually, like certain psychedelics and stuff should definitely come off schedule a and i was just talking yeah. with somebody today about it my, one of my friends here where you know like just the, the idea of people knowing what they're dealing with and people having respect for both the sovereignty of their own consciousness you know the fact that whatever you choose to do with it is is your right you know but at the same time it's like we need to have more of a an education as to like maybe I don't want to use the word properly to properly do these things, but but to to understand what you're dealing with, you know. I think properly is a good way to put it because you should because like when I was younger, I didn't do it properly. I did it like a party. I took I took psychedelics like I was just going to have this crazy time. But then yeah, as I'm yeah, older now, right. I see like listening to like you said Duncan Trussell or like the yeah. whole Joe Rogan thing. They kind of opened my eyes up to that whole or Alex Gray. Uh, open up my eyes to that whole like shamanistic approach to psychedelics and there's so much like positive feedback from people experiencing these psychedelics in that kind of format that i don't know how people could deny that it's useful no, no and that's and that's exactly where i think that 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 
that that conversation needs to be had on a greater scale. Like, because the problem is that that you know the government and essentially just sort of the uh, umbrella of Western culture as we know it is that it, it it's it just stigmatizes anything it doesn't understand, right? So, yeah. so when we when we're talking about you know, it, it, I find this the funniest fucking thing is like when you know something like let's say mushrooms were to come up in polite conversation, quote quote unquote, right? <laughs> and, and you got somebody standing there going, well, yeah, no, that's just not for me. See, I don't do drugs. And meanwhile, they're holding like a, a glass of Jack Daniels. <laughs> they got a cigarette thing from the other hand. It's it, I just, I, I, or even whatever, man, you're having a conversation at a coffee shop. It's like, listen, you are, you are sitting there with a cup of drugs. Just that, like, this is shit that somebody is simply, like, it, it's understood, hence accepted, and, or not, and I also, I mean, something like alcohol, it's like, of course, this, this can be brutally uh, fucked up for people to indulge in, too. And a lot of people do it without any regard for, it's, it's actual effect and, you know, the negative effects it has on them too. And it's like, that's a conversation that, that are, are, are they having this when they're first starting to get into it? No, like, like, you know, somebody like a teenager doesn't have any clue one way or another, but it's somehow more all right for them to get completely fucked up on alcohol. But then as soon as something comes up, where it's a, you know, let's say a conversation about psychedelics is that there hasn't been any talk about the proper way that one may actually find this to be a beneficial thing to to introduce into their lives. Like I, I do think that from my own experiences with, with psychedelics, for instance, I think that they can, if you know what you're kind of doing in the sense of set and setting and all that, but you really can be extremely it, it's both extremely powerful, but it can be extremely healing in a way, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't use that word lightly. Like, I, I really feel like they're, it, it just, it, the, the idea behind them, I think, is that they, they just lift a veil that hides over a much bigger picture than we're allowed to see in our sort of like primate biological bodies. Um, and, you know, it's just that like, the, the problem is that just, is that people are just simply afraid of it, and so, hence they just lump it in with everything else. Like I mean, it's, it's on the same list, on the same schedule A as like methamphetamines and heroin. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, Anybody that's ever done drugs knows how crazy that it is. Because there's like, I love marijuana. I would do psychedelics again. I haven't done it in like ten years or more, um, but I would do it in like a nice setting. But I would never touch cocaine again. I would never. I've never touched heroin. There's a huge difference between those fucking drugs. The other stuff is like an right. experience, like you said. Like weed is an experience. It's like this. It's different. Psychedelics is an experience. Like I've had some really fucking deep kind of uh, experiences. Not so much like this world changing aspect that I know how to fix everything in the world, but more in my inner self. Like this. Like when I walk around things, things I perceive around me become so much more real than I've ever seen them before. And that's such a weird statement to say that anybody that hasn't done psychedelics, but there's like a... Yeah, but I, dude, I know exactly what you mean, though. That is, that's what's so funny and perplexing about the, the experience itself is that there really is, like, there's... it's Man, it's just so weird to, like, actually articulate it, but there is aspects about these experiences that show us more of a truth than I think we can necessarily experience 
uh, on any given day on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a strange kind of truth, so it's almost as if it's exposing the fabric and the purpose of the universe. The thing to me, though, is that why I think they're extremely powerful and useful tools to kind of uh, incorporate into one's life, if done, again, responsibly, is that this, it, the greatest work to be done with them sort of happens in between the trips. I mean, in, in the sense that having had that experience, it's certain aspects of it you do get just almost simply by virtue of your your regular mind not being quite able to contend with how incredibly outlandishly sort of like wonderful it was, if you know what I mean. Like it's almost yeah. like trying to remember a very beautiful dream. But that dream wasn't just idle chatter, like just beautiful, weird landscapes and whatnot. I mean, the, the thing that uh, is sort of revealing to me is that there's there's something worth fighting for in a way. And and, and by that, I simply mean like it's, it's worth one's while to really put beautiful things back into the world because as, as strange as it is, it, you know, the idea with... Uh, with being human and something that's very sort of uh, specifically human is the fact that we we can actually leave something behind and, and put things back in into uh, reality that we've created or, or you know you know in the sense that we we can actually enhance the world around us we can either enhance it or we can uh, we can aid in destroying it but we're the only species that is actually aware of one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like in the sense of like creating, creating artwork, for instance, any shape that it takes like music or writing a play or writing a script for a movie or, or whatever. I mean, anything that in which you can reflect on the world around you and then, you know, put that somehow make it like materialize it, like make it something that other people can experience. I, I think that that's, that alone, I mean, that's that's a just a beautiful thing to be able to do. I suppose, like, just just through by virtue of having, let's say, those experiences that kind of take you on this wild ride outside of almost like the perception of time itself, and and you kind of glimpse that there is. It's this is not a Richard Dawkins kind of world where it's just there's an empty, cold, heartless, merciless void around it. But there is, like, in, instead, there's actually what it seems to be revealing to me is that, you know, there really is something beautiful to to the pursuit of beauty, to both the appreciation of beauty and, and to the to the aim to actually sort of communicate ideas back and then to create beauty, beauty and put it back. It's, it's, I think that's something that I kind of take away from is that is that it's not just the pursuit of the next paycheck that brings me back to the easel every day. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely know what you mean. And like that, I I feel like that's kind of what the threatening part of, of psychedelics is in the first place. It's like, not only do you, do you kind of like bring that kind of, um, I'm just going to say that, that oneness approach to life, you know? Um, but it also kills your ego. And I think, I think that like a lot of people once faced with that, like a psychedelics face, giving you that reality. Sometimes you don't even want to see your reality. You know what I mean? And like, that's where freakouts yeah. come. Like that's where like, or, or even with marijuana, when people say they have like anxiety attacks with marijuana, 
in my mind, I'm like, well, that's because you got some shit to work out, man. You need to like listen yeah, to no, no, dude, yeah, Totally, totally. Like you're, you're definitely, you're right on the money because that's something I've thought about too, where, you know, when I, when I think of something like, let's say going to mushrooms, for instance, like something that, that I find to be for lack of a better word, rather it's, it's, it's not saying it too boldly to say that to me they're kind of sacred. Just in the simple sense that they, uh, it is like you have to really go. You're you are going into those experiences with the possibility that you are you're gonna either face down into the abyss or you can be kind of essentially walking into a very mystical kind of paradise as well. I think that they're really taking like a a very strange kind of like a kind of like carnival house mirror to you and kind of showing like, look, this is what you think you are. This is who you kind of are. And this is your contribution back to the society you live in. And, and, but, but it does it in a way that, that, I mean, it doesn't just enhance the state that you're in, that just you happen to be happy about yourself. So this thing will just elevate that for instance, or you've been feeling shitty. So it just makes you feel worse. I, I it's got nothing to do with that, but I, it, it's one of those things where I think that the kind of how you conduct yourself and what you've been putting your focus into and whatnot, it will kind of reveal whether or not you're contributing or sapping away from the life around you, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, um, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm totally agnostic when it comes to any kind of like afterlife or anything. I have no fucking clue, but let's just say there is some right. kind of judge at the end, right? Say you die and all of a sudden like a judge appears. You're like, this is the shit you've done. Psychedelics is, is is basically your own judge. It, it reveals that you are your own personal judge, but it can also be on the flip side too. I've had stresses in my life that after either say smoking weed or uh, doing psychedelics, it revealed to me how stupid that stress was, and it was actually very totally, therapeutic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly that too. That's a, that's a really good point in that it kind of reveals truest truth, at least to me in a way. And and, and it's a weird one to try and really put it into English. It's, it's, it's that the insignificant things that I think on a daily basis aren't insignificant, like things that I kind of dwell on and, and worried about. It. And it has a very kind of beautiful habit of kind of pointing at those things and saying, what the fuck are you doing so like hung up on these things when look, look over here and there's this beautiful, beautiful thing you could be focusing on. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it is essentially it eradicates a lot of things that in the big scheme aren't that big of a deal. However, if you have this huge elephant in the room, like I said, like if if there's something that is actually worthy of your attention in terms of being a big stressful thing, aka you've been a dick <laughs> to somebody in particular to a lot of people, yeah, as as sort of like a a general way that you've been conducting yourself it's like well that that is something it's gonna make you deal with something that i haven't done i don't know if i necessarily have curiosity for it so i really i think i'm set quite well in, in what i what i have to work with here but like let's say for example like lsd is allegedly super good at getting alcoholics to quit you know oh yeah um also, there's another one called Ibogaine. It's also called Ibogaine. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's a really strong psychedelic that I don't have any interest in going through because it's allegedly really grueling, yeah. like 24 hours. Yeah. But, um, but that man, that that's 
like they're they're unofficial clinics obviously because it's uh illegal here but there are these retreats that people can go to if they have major uh, uh substance abuse problems like like heroin especially it's just very good for that it's they go and do one of these sessions, man. Like, like these are people who society has at large said, there's no hope for you. You're too far down this dark rabbit hole. Good luck. Here's the methadone. They go and do this one retreat with Ibogaine, and they come out with no substance abuse problem at all anymore. Yeah. Like, how, how, can, how can anyone, how can any establishment turn a blind eye to that? I think that's fucking ridiculous. You know? I know it's weird um, because I saw a documentary about that. I don't even remember what the documentary was called. It was something on Netflix. I was probably still watching it late at night. But I remember like seeing the people uh, going through it. And it looked terrible. It's not a recreational drug. It looks like you, you just. Yeah. But they, but then when the guy came out, exactly what you said, he did not feel withdrawals. But the flip side is, yeah. so you're yeah. you're completely cured of the physical addiction, say of heroin and so forth. But the way the documentary explained it was that like. Now it's you. Now it's like you can make your own choice. You're not physically drawn to these things, right. but you could still be kind of mentally drawn to them, though. So, yeah, I, I, I'd wager that what's happening is you have this one experience, and in the process of going through a massive psychedelic experience, you you're sort of confronted with the truth of the matter, which is I do this thing that I've been doing for a while that's been fucking up my life and the life of people around me who love me and whatnot. And I've just been going along that course because there hasn't been any sort of, there hasn't been a reset button. And then you have this, this one massive experience where it's not so much as if the, the substance that you put in your body all of a sudden physically just alters you to not need it anymore. It's more like, so what, what I would what I would argue that it probably is is that you kind of see through a lens by which you then see how utterly absurd it has been for you to pursue that uh, that like really destructive way of living for a while. Mm-hmm. Which is simply to say that it's kind of like uh, I mean a lot of people sort of cite Joseph Campbell and like the the hero's journey and stuff when it comes to those kind of experiences because there is a certain element of sort of like mythology and all that attached to this idea of, you know, you have to take a deep plunge or a courageous plunge into an unknown place. And you do have to go through a valley before you can get to the other side. It's not just taking a certain subject, the substance, and then all of a sudden being thrust into paradise. You know, it's, it's the, the idea being that, that somebody w- willing to go through an Ibogaine thing, I think they're, they're very well aware that it's not going to be an easy 12 or 24 hours or however fucking long it takes. But, but by process of going through it and facing it, I think that they kind of, they, um, exorcise that demon out of them, which is their, their addiction, you know, the same goes for, let's say like ayahuasca. These are done in a serious purpose driven manner. That's what's so beautiful about the idea of sort of, shamanism and now the the idea of shamanism in a non-pokey way kind of being introduced to the west by the virtue of people having these these discussions and and people really getting a better sense of what the hell it is that they're talking about and it can have amazingly redeeming and, and healing qualities because people are are really going on these sort of journeys and come back completely changed they've had a really 
hugely mind-opening experience that has set them on a path to just alter a lot of shit in their life that wasn't serving them any good. If there was a way to introduce an open dialogue about these substances in the West, and to have it in a way where, like, it is legal, but it comes with this caveat, which is we just have to do it in this setting. For instance, the way I was talking with my friend about earlier today is imagine there being, like, centers that you go to, kind of like, I, you know, let's not attach any kind of religiosity to it. It wouldn't be, like, temples. But, you know, it would be more like, you know, you go to yoga class, for instance. Well, there's always a yoga teacher there, right? So, and there's, a, like, a meditation class thing that I go to here on Tuesdays, and it's the same idea. There's, like, a... It's a, it's a peaceful setting. It's set up in a way where everybody there is fully aware of what they're getting themselves into. But this is, I'm talking about yoga meditation, you know. But imagine there being like a similar kind of setup where you want to have this experience. Well, yeah, you're going to do it guided with a very experienced person leading the way. And lo and behold, you would have amazing amazing shit happen for people you know and that's how i think it should be as well i totally agree with you like would you would you actually go down to south america and try the uh, ayahuasca oh totally man yeah, yeah, yeah no that's 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 definitely on my bucket list and way before this is way before i get like old and early like i want to do this i want to do this soon you know I, I don't know if like this year or whatnot but uh it's definitely in the books man. I, I definitely want to do it just the fact that look there's something here definitely worth examining and it's definitely worth examining by virtue of experience, not just sitting around ivory towers fucking talking about it or writing essays about it. It's like, no, just actually have the experiences and you will see that it is worth chatting about. And the fact that now we have this amazing platform, aka the internet, is just allowing people, we don't have to, we no longer have to tune to sort of like crusty old radio stations that are, as we said, at the very top of this thing is like, you know, really fully produced things. It's like, no, it's people having no other agenda than just to talk to one another are talking. And what they're yep. saying is coming largely out of their own experiences that can very literally, like, it can just blow people's minds and, and have them inspired to not be, first of all, uninformed and second of all, scared to do shit that I think will have great impact on both themselves, but they then in turn can turn around and say, look, I had this experience and whoever cares to be listening to them could be like, oh, wait a minute. I think I've heard of that thing. Maybe I should try it as well, you know? And again, this is not like, like you know, because the obviously, uh, considering we've spent the majority of this podcast talking about essentially what, again, is a big word like drugs. But you know, there's a good reason why there aren't volumes, huge books, there aren't lectures, there aren't fucking podcasts like entirely dedicated to, let's say, methamphetamine. You know, like yes. there's a huge, huge, huge difference between these categories. But the fact is, being again in like polite society, is it's considered somehow like taboo to be talking about stuff that I personally think has significant rewards to be reaped out of them, so long as, again, they're done with respect, both for the substance, but also for oneself going into them. It's like, it's, this is shit that is, is 
bound to be talked about more and more the less people are frightened to death about it because their mommies and daddies come from a generation where it's completely evil to be going down our road or whatever. And meanwhile, like big brother government is saying, well, this is illegal. Hence it's a bad thing for you to consume. Meanwhile, the next week they get completely fucking wasted at a bar. And I, I just think that it's, it looks like it's, it's madness. It's madness because one, again, you know, done properly and, and with an informed mind behind it can lead to one, not wanting to binge drink anymore, friends. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the, that's the irony of the whole thing is this thing that is people are very scared about it and just overall stigmatizing to all hell is, is potentially the thing that is going to heal people from a ton of neuroses and these bad habits and shit, you know? Yeah. Um, I actually talked to my mom about it when, I was, when she was here last Christmas. I actually brought it up. That's how open I feel about it now because, like, Dude, that's Wait. awesome. I, I did the same. I, you did? I had the same conversation with mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a little while ago. Like, just, just a few months ago there. I was like, look, well, on the time we talked about it, sort of like a, a very significant part of how I think or what I think about, so we might as well be open to that. But I still feel like it's one of those things they kind of have to kill people out. It's like, wait, am I ready to talk to them about this? Yeah. It's like, are they, like, what? if they've never had an experience like that, it's all just, it's just fairy tales to them. I think that it's, it's high time for people to stop just externalizing their experiences through the things that we create uh, in terms of the computers or whatever else and start looking at what other ways can we start interacting with the universe that, that can come from this individual experience. Say, like, if we're going to approach any type of singularity using any kind of device out there as we know it, it's going to come through something like this. So people being able to actually speak frankly about shit without, first of all, fear of consequence, like losing your job because you're doing some, like you're touching on topics that aren't kosher as it were. Right. Or alternatively, it's like you can have the kind of guests on, for instance, that will say how it actually is, not how, you know, not how the, powers that be would like to have us perceive it i think there's a lot of people that just kind of accept it maybe they don't even realize this other kind of shit is going on on the side but anybody that just sits there and watches any of like the msnbc fox news cnn if you don't realize you're being manipulated and lied to and like all this information is being left out like i don't know how the fuck you can't see like i when i when i first got into news I like when I was growing up, I didn't care about politics, nothing like that. And then 9-11 happened and I'm like, whoa, I just, I got to start paying attention here. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then once that happened, I started watching like Fox news. It just happened. I just started watching Fox news. I don't even know why. And I, and I didn't see it at first, but then after a while, it's like, it became so obvious how fake it was. Like I, and now oh, we're, and we're really yeah. in this like weird kind of, it is like this George Orwell type of state where they are lying to us. And a lot of us know they're lying to us. But they're so fucking good at manipulating information now that they're able to get these type of people that riled up over stupid issues. Like all the major shit goes under the Democrats and Republicans go through the same shit with the major shit. They'll pass the same stuff, but they'll have you arguing about gay rights or abortion and religion in schools. And you're like, motherfuckers, what are you doing? Like there's some serious shit happening here. Remember that's, that's where, you know, uh, I think that, like, like as hopeless as that all 
seems like the hope I think is now coming from the like not the underground because it's no longer underground. It's like it's it's coming from like the hope lies entirely in sources that you know have no stakes anywhere. You know, you kinda of have to turn to them to really get the full truth because because the moment you look at like and, and I mean media is like this here in the States, but I I would probably argue that it happens all around the world in the same way. It's like as soon as you get any investment going on and all that kind of shit, well, that's not that's not unbiased reporting. No. You know, what you have to have is is people who are first of all aware enough, like they actually want to know what the hell is going on with regards to a bunch of different shit. I mean, here we've been talking about psychedelics, so I certainly want that talked about by a bunch of people, but at the same time, like I do want to know where the fuck we're going as far as on a national level and a global level. Like, I, I, the whole idea that you even have a news outlet, quote-unquote, like Fox, that's denying the existence of such a thing as a global warming, because they're pretty much flat out doing that. You know, like they have like these, these alleged reporters, it's a very dubious term when applied to Fox News, but <laughs> one claiming that, that you know, it's like, well, yeah, this whole global warming hoax or this theory it's what the fuck? And I mean, you know, that's this is the news that's being consumed <laughs> by other people in this country without any regard for whether or not this, these are facts. It's it, it's just it's so slimy, and there's just something so gross about it that when something like this has come around, which hasn't always been the case, I mean, it's a very new thing, but such a thing as podcasting has hit the scene. It's man, what a what a relief it is because then you realize that like, you're not the only one first of all frustrated with the way things are, but you're also, you know, you're not the only one hungry for the truth about shit. Yeah. Or if not necessarily the truth about facts, at least the demand for them. You know, like the fact that there, there are people a lot more than maybe one would, one, one could very well see oneself feeling pretty like pretty much in a pit of despair if you didn't have an outlet such as the internet you know to turn to to see that wait a minute there are a lot of people who are just as pissed off about how stupid this shit has gotten you know absolutely uh, and that's the great thing about po- go back to the podcast and how fucking great they are like i'll name off some more like the science podcasts that are available you can't get that kind of quality science information on television anywhere as being put out in podcasts yes yeah, yeah. Radiolab yeah. is one yeah. of those. Radiolab puts out great science podcasts on the brain, on like on animal behavior, and kind of like this broader picture of like how this, oh, it's yeah. amazing. But then you have like things like Big Picture Science that does a good job, and they have uh, like the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. If you want to get like some bullshit detectors on and like figure out what what's kind of being told is what's lies out there and so forth and why television can't give you that i'm not sure i think it's maybe because advertisers just think everybody's retarded and and like so they just play down to the dumbest denominator well i I thought about this the other day too where like if if you want to go for for something that will appeal to as many people as you can possibly appeal to you kind of have to sometimes uh i i suppose like like take into consideration the lowest common denominator also. And While I, still, I mean, certain instances, they can do that and still preserve the quality of the whole product. It's not spoiling the whole thing, 
but but fact of the matter being like so so going back to what we were saying before you take something like science like some kind of like like very cool shit that you or I for example would find really fascinating well unless it has that other shit in it too I just don't think it's gonna get like prime time cable coverage you know yeah no I do and that's a, that's something that frustrates me too as somebody that I grew up reading a lot of comic books and so so all these comic book movies are coming out like you have a successful storyline right like this this was a success there's a reason you're making a movie out of this is because that storyline yeah. was awesome and everybody loved it but then you're like you know what i'm a fucking movie executive i know what people want i'm gonna change what everybody thought was awesome about this right, and i'm gonna right. do my own yeah. ideas you know I, you know whatever frank miller i don't care about you you know what it doesn't matter to me. Whatever, Alan Moore. Your, yeah, your idea yeah. of a big freaking bulbous alien put down in the middle of Manhattan uh, in The Watchmen. Like, that's, and, you know, that's stupid to me. I don't like it, so I'm going to change it. Like, that, I know yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, let's put Adam Bomb in there because it's more what people understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, I have to accept it because at first I used to be one of those, like, dorky people that would be like, oh, that's not what happens. <laughs> but now I have to just accept it because you have to – but it's but what is it about that ego that people say that they know better? You know, like why not just accept that this person was a creator and he made a success? Let, yeah. let that story well, be the story. Yeah, and that's you know it's, it's totally like I think about this a lot too. When whenever I hear of, um, movie adaptations of books that I love, for example, is that unless it's in in the hands of a very few select directors that have sort of their their pedigree has allowed them to take something on and probably because just because of that they, they're not micromanaged to all hell when they're making so for instance like a good example of that and and good being subjective i, mean, I love the shit out of this movie it was uh life of pie so i had read the book i think i did the audio book also i just remember thinking like man what a what a great story like could they ever make a movie out of this and I hope they never do because this kind of, this thing is kind of perfect as it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I hear that they're making a movie and I find out Sam Lee's making the movie. And I thought, well, shit, I mean, this is like, a, this is going to be a mainstream movie because it's a big director. It's going to be a big movie. But man, are they going to fuck this like they do with so many movies? Like, I don't know if I want to see it. Then it came out and then I, I saw it anyway. And I thought, when I saw that film, I realized, like, no, you know what? It can be done. This doesn't need, like, there's no mega star to be seen anywhere. Like, there's no recognizable faces in it. Uh, it's, there's CG all over, but it's handled very elegantly. It's not just making sort of mockery of, of what they can do visually or whatnot. Like, I think that they, they handled it surprisingly well, considering it had a lot going against it only simply because in a movie that at this point, like they have to make money back at these movies. Hence they're introducing 3d to practically every movie that's yeah. been put out. Right now, you know? and, uh, and I thought like, man, this is a rare instance of it where there are hundreds of examples of just as we were saying, it's more like they're like, well, we're going to adapt this book, but let's not trust the author to have envisioned it well enough. Because we know what people really want, and what they want is, you know, X, X, some other shit too. Like, let's just put this stuff in there as like either editing out what was originally there and worked just fine right now, or let's just add it because 
we hope that that will attract a broader audience. But they look, are you ignoring the fact that the original book or whatever it was, or graphic novel, was kind of flawless on its own? Why yeah. fucking change it, you know? Um, Alan Moore has it happened a lot, though. I never saw versus like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but what a great graphic novel, man. Like, the guy is a genius mm-hmm. writing, but I heard the movie was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same as, like, V for Vendetta. I, I love the graphic novel. And, and, uh, and uh, From Hell, both of them like the movies. It's like, look, why, why are you, why not just follow this the way that he intended? Like, you would have a beautiful result, you know? Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if Alan Moore does psychedelics or not, but he actually he seems like he does. He's he's, he's yeah, a pretty wild looking guy. A friend, a friend of mine is uh is friends with his wife, who I guess they, you know they she had something to do with Mica, the the school up in Baltimore, the art school. Okay. So my friend met Alan Moore on a few occasions and and knows about him more so than most, I guess. Um and and. I mean, one thing about it is that he, he smokes a ton of weed. Because <laughs> um, I was thinking about that. Did on the record, that? Saying that, so I, I don't know personally, but but it, it, from what I understand, he he writes all his shit, essentially, in a certain state of mind. So They say Carl Sagan is another person that's known to have smoked weed and is very creative oh, yeah. in his elegant way of approaching uh, science, you know? It's like, come on, how many people were turned on? I was turned on to science because of Cal, uh, Carl Sagan. So many ways that you can make all types of really interesting shit out there like really compelling but instead you have like like for most of the uh teachers that i had in high school and whatnot like it just seemed like they're just kind of going through the motions of doing whatever the curriculum states they should put out there and nobody in the class gives a shit about what's being presented because it's not being presented as material that one ought to be excited about you know like now now we have somebody like neil degrasse tyson for instance that i think He's doing a great job mm-hmm. of putting those big questions about the huge universe and just incomprehensibly complex stuff and actually making it approachable enough that just because he has a very charming personality too. Like he has a way of presenting it that this isn't leukemia we're talking about, but this is something like really beautiful. Like it, it, well, he introduces it to you in a way where you can tell that he's excited about it and you ought to be as well, you know? But, man, I don't know. Again, that's where, like, the Internet is uh, can be such a wellspring for amazingly cool information. And it just because it's just such a quick, efficient, and direct avenue to those things, you know? Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's strange to talk about it from the standpoint where when I went through high school, and I'm sure the same with you, like, a few of us started you know, having, like, email addresses and whatnot, but we certainly didn't have... YouTube. No. Then, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's probably good so, that I didn't because there was so much incriminating shit about me on YouTube. It'd be ridiculous. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. I, I had a, I had a chat with somebody the other day, sort of related to what we're talking about. So it's kind of tangents, but what I'm wondering, like with the generation that's coming up uh, behind us who like their whole lives have been with internet. Like since they, I guess since they were like old enough to read, they probably read from a screen, not from a book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wonder, though, I mean, considering, like, with Facebook, Twitter, all the social networking stuff and how those, all those platforms 
very useful though they are in the right hand, they are really ADHD driven. So, so the generation that's coming up, ha- them having been entirely like their whole lives been wrapped up in experiencing the world in a way where it's like these small snippets like here's my status update here's this new bit of stimuli that takes 10 seconds of my life here i go on to the next one the next one whatever right like it's just basically really short attention span warranting kind of way of interacting with reality right so i just wonder if like i don't know if there's there's any cause to examine this but I literally, you know how at the same time of year, like kids getting stuck on shit like Ritalin and Adderall, like a lot of kids running around out there, like completely fucked up because they're, first of all, they're like developing hormonally and otherwise, and they have essentially speed coursing through their bodies. It's stuck in a mind loop where they go, well, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever, this is how I operate is I go from one thing to the next to the next. And then, then when they're, uh, expected to sit through a class, for instance, that goes for an hour on one topic, and then they seem super fidgety and a little bit like unstable as far as their attention span goes. Teacher goes, "All right, next parent-teacher meeting. I got to sit down with the parents, talk to them about this." Next thing you know, the kid's on fucking Adderall. Yeah. You know? So I wonder if that that. Uh, I mean, this is just my sort of observational theory here, but I wonder if the whole Adderall riddle in epidemic, even though it's been around for a while, I just wonder if it's like on sort of like pandemic proportions right now because I mean, fuck man, if I was like twelve and I had Facebook uh or like Twitter tweeting at me all the fucking time, if I had a cell phone, if I had an iPhone when I was twelve, just I probably wouldn't have the stability as far as just being able to focus on the shit that I ought to be focusing on at any length of time, you know? Exactly. Um, like, yeah. like, I entertained myself as a kid creating, like, building Lego castles. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if Lego castle sales have plummeted since the iPhone dropped on the scene. You know what I mean? We, I have a, 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 year and a, half, a year and a half old son, and this kind of debate is going on between uh, me and my wife because we're like, well, so how much technology do we let him use? Because right. we don't know, we don't want to be responsible for him not being able to do things like your paintings. You know, he's like that takes a, a, a time that you have to be like sit down and, and research and do a whole bunch of other things to get to where you're at right now. I used to, I took uh, ADD medicine for about six months, but I took it when I was like 28 because <laughs> I was like, I'll try it out, let's see what happens. I'll get a prescription for it. That shit is speed. That's speed. It made me think very clearly, and I was getting a lot done, but it yeah, also, yeah. but it's speed. I was on speed. I knew it, and I knew it at the time I was taking it, but I was like, well, this is, every, it's normal. They give it to kids. It can't be bad. Yeah, but then I started having anxiety attacks, like, and I never had it. I've been an easygoing guy my whole life, and I started having anxiety attacks, like real anxiety attacks. I've never, yeah, and, never... And, and understandably so, man. Uh, yeah, because I, 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 I tried Adderall a couple of times just just uh, in not not quite a recreational sense other than it was more like hey well what is this thing and somebody had it so i'm like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna check it out and then i realized like holy fuck like the, the danger behind it uh was that i sort of saw like a world of potential opening up 
because I realized how fucking productive I could be on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, I, but it was weird. Like, I really was like, holy shit, man. I'm getting, like, half of a painting done that normally should take me a week in, in one crazy 10-hour sitting, you know? I, but yeah, uh, yeah. but it, it, it scared me. It scared me off right away because I'm like, shit, like... It, because I, I had the same thought in mind. I'm like, well, I mean, this is prescribed to kids. This is prescribed all over the place. Like, it can't be that crazy. And having not actually done real, like, speed, like, street speed ever, nor yeah. have I ever had, like, any interest in going down that road, I realized, like, no, but, dude, this is, this is an impediment. Like, this is no joke. Like, this is not a, some subtle, like, little up like you would get from a small cup of coffee like this is the real feel you know um and then it just got me thinking like look though like you got like kids who don't know any better and they're just given these little pills to take like that it, there's just something so like heinous about it because it's i feel like that i don't know i, I just think that that may very well rob kids of like the the natural kind of experience that they should be having, which is to feel a little jangled, like not, not necessarily always have their focus just on one thing, but I'm just thinking if, if that's getting worse and getting facilitated in the wrong direction by virtue of very fast technology. Right? And by that, I just think, I mean, like, you know, the social networking platforms that kind of compel us to be very, like low attention span, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get sold on the on the. Uh, I, I actually went and got prescription because I thought I had ADD. I got sold on the idea. I was like, "Yeah, dude, I have all these symptoms." But then if you read symptoms of, I could have depression. I could have like, I could have all kinds of crazy shit. If you read it, it's pretty broad. It's like reading an astrology chart or something. You know, You're like it could fit a lot of different people, man. And you don't need it. I'm not saying that nobody needs it, but I'm not. I don't think that, like you said, it's it's probably being overprescribed, and people are just jumping to it, and parents are just sold into it because their doctor says it's okay. But yeah, yeah, and that's it's just funny though because it's it, when we sort of uh, we're talking about before with other substances that are just outright thrown on a schedule A as being like, well, these have no medically um, recognized purpose, which is why they're on schedule A. I guess that's how you end up on like the worst list. Well, so with something like let's say Adderall. Because it's prescribed, like, this big pharma is making mad money on this shit, especially mm-hmm. in the States because it's, it's drawn by profit, you know? Like, it, you know, coming from Canada, I don't remember. Like, I know, of course, it's not It's not as if it was not prescribed all over the world, but it just seems like here there'd be more of a, an incentive to do so by doctors because they must make money on this shit, you know? So it's just uh, I'm thinking of what adverse effects it can very well have on somebody who's on it all the time because imagine them coming off of it like you don't just drop Adderall if you've been taking it for probably five years you know what I mean like that would probably be severely bad for you on a lot of levels whereas then there are other substances grown straight out of the ground that that don't have any toxicology nor do they compel you to be habitually tied up with them and they're completely off the table because they don't have that, they don't serve that kind of purpose. It's simply like large pharmaceutical companies can't look at, let's say mushrooms and go, hey, we're going to make a killing on this, guys. Let's let's start growing mushrooms. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 
Definitely. And that, that's another thing about marijuana. Marijuana, like, let's just say I do have small tendencies of ADD, which probably a shitload of people do. Like, yeah, marijuana, yeah. marijuana takes that away when I'm, if I'm sitting down and I want to paint for hours and like I yeah. feel restless, if I hit marijuana, it's not like it makes me dull inside. It just takes that thing away, that, that constant like inner racing and, and jumping to like whatever weird weird thought I have going on in my head like it kind of just it slows it down and helps me focus similar yeah, to yeah. what the uh, ADD medicine did yeah no exactly and, and, and that's I, I think that I'm exactly in the same camp with you because once in a while I've thought like shit man like I can't keep my mind from going to a lot of places when it really should be focused on one thing let's say it's just painting I got a paint today but meanwhile it's like Oh, that one email snagging on me, and wait, should I check my like Facebook or something? Yeah. <laughs> like that, that I know is dumb. It, it, I know that it's like this is simply me procrastinating, and it hasn't hit any kind of pathological level. But I can see some days being largely shortened by just my attention span being what it is. Sometimes, you know, and and to, truth be told, man, same thing. Like if I I don't know. I, I don't even need to smoke that much, but I just smoke a little bit of the right stuff. Like I find myself shedding a lot of the nonsense that would otherwise just be wasting my time, you know. But I, I but that said, at the same time, uh, the solution is not to do like wake and make with kids in the morning before sending them <laughs> off to school. You know what I mean? Uh, but <laughs> but at the same time, it's like. I don't know. There's got to be a better solution than simply popping them up on like really like like hardcore shit. Which yes, it's made in sterile labs and whatever. It doesn't make it any less like ass kicking, you know? Like like I don't know, man. Because even what whatever I did, like that little joke that I tried by virtue of my friend having them, he's like, yeah, dude, just take like a take like a quarter or something. And then I mean, he takes like a whole pill, like the way that he kind of, I guess. Go, navigates his life is gets up on Adderall and down on Xana. Like, oh. You can't be healthy, man. Like, no. what the fuck? And I think his claim to um, his doctor was something that just simply allowed him to restock. He's not really have to fix any kind of long-term problem here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more him saying, well, I kind of feel anxious about this and that. So they give him the, uh, the Xanax and then but meanwhile, I can't keep my focus on anything. Like, here's some Adderall, and off we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, it happens with, like, Oxycontins, too. How many people fucking read oh, yeah, their that's, that's a dark, dark, dark universe. Very well. dark. Yeah, there, too, it's like, because a lot of people who end up on that shit, man, they, they, they never become the same. Like, they, no. they're, they're, that's, that's, that's some of the more sinister shit when you think about, like, how skewed the whole dialogue is and how skewed the whole perception of what drugs should be sanctioned and whatnot. It, what like Oxycontin has got to be like a uh, poster boy for how fucked up the whole thing is. It's like, it, 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 it makes me think really like, you know, if you ever read Babe New World, I mean, it's like the, the whole thing with Soma just to keep people at a steady state of not asking too many questions and just like, you know, just accept whatever they give you. I mean, there you are, you're looking at something that's essentially like, like heroin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have a, I have a friend here in Denver that was in the Marines for eight years 
never smoked weed until like he was in the Marines for eight years, didn't smoke weed before that, got out, and he was he was in the first uh, Fallujah attacks. It was it was a serious part of Iraq war, you know, and uh, he got yeah. hurt, but he's he's still he's still staying for eight years, but he has prolonged back issues and other issues and so forth. They prescribed him oxycontins when he got out, and he said oh, yeah. it almost ruined his life. And then he tried medical marijuana. And then he started working at a medical marijuana shop, and now it's like he grows his own <laughs> stuff because you can grow six plants here. And no, he can grow like twenty something because he 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 uh, says he because he cooks them in edibles and so forth. Uh, so he can. Oh, nice. Sorry, yeah. But that really <laughs> helps him with his back problems. I asked him, I was like, "So does it take the pain away?" And he's like, "It doesn't completely go away, but it, it makes it manageable through the day, and it's and it's so much more functional than taking some kind of." pharmaceutical pain medicine because those are you will become an addict your life starts going down the drain like he said i was in my darkest spots when i was on oxycontins but now that he's on marijuana the dude's a jovial guy he's in he's getting his master's right now in nutrition and he's stoned as fuck all the time you know that's awesome man. well honestly see that's where i think that uh other little a glimmer of hope is the fact that near washington state in colorado state like they just at the same time as uh second year was ushered in for Obama, it's like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. We, we're legal with it now. Like, like, the, the fact that those kind of footholds are starting to take take place. Like, I, I think that uh, that's, the, that's the way that we're going to eradicate a lot of nonsense is just simply by, like, certain places being courageous enough and just forward-thinking enough to say, like, enough with the fucking nonsense because it's been going on for way too long, you know? But imagine, I mean, back in the back in the 60s, for instance, like, just being caught with a joint was, like, 10-year life sentence, 10-year sentence or something crazy. Like, yeah. insane. Like, it was, like, super, super demonized. Even though back then, too, it was, like, Obviously, people knew, like, look, this thing isn't going to ruin society. But it's the powers that be, again, being, like, essentially putting the brakes on in a very heavy-handed fashion. It's, it's, it's sort of a symbol of counterculture or something going against the the well-sowed grain of the of the establishment, you know? So I just think that uh, for, the, for, for what it's worth, I mean, you living in a state right now where you don't have to worry about that shit anymore. Like it, it, it just, it's the veil has been lifted enough and it's like, look, this is beneficial to people. And here are the results. Here's somebody who, for instance, was hooked on this shitty substance that you can get from any doctor. If you just walk in their office and instead they're turning to something like this, that for a long time has been stigmatized against. And look, he feels a lot better about it. Yeah. And what are you going to say? You know, and meanwhile, it's, you know, that's something that's already been recognized in Canada a while ago. And, like, obviously, certain parts of Europe are pretty pretty much thinking that same way. So I think that, who knows, man, like, before long, I hope it hits the East Coast here as well. And, like, you know, we can actually, I, I think that just the more people have open conversations about it in public, I feel that that's more and more of that wall is going to chip away. Thankfully, I mean, we were born into a, a day and age when, like, the general consensus is that it's complete bullshit to be put away for any amount of time for possession of something that, first of all, I mean, like, look, the substance itself is time and again proven to have no toxicity to it at all. I mean, what the fuck? 
So I mean, that's just something that I, I just feel I, I feel at least empowered enough that you know here's two of us talking about this on not not on the air but in a public forum in a sense about this, and so are hundreds thousands of other people. But the fact is that, that there isn't any more like that need to be entirely hushed, like hush-hush about it because you're fearing that your neighbor's going to wreck you for it or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and same goes, but, but that's the thing, you know, going back to what we said earlier in the, in the episode, is, um, when we're getting to more sort of less understood territory like psychedelics, I think that that conversation will come on the heels of this one in the sense of, you know, the, the more that the veil is lifted on this particular topic, the more people I think will feel like they can start talking about those things as well, because the more we understand about them, the less fear they need to kind of have shrouding them, you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I don't know. You know, I, I think that the more, the more I kind of tune into stuff like podcasts and whatnot, I just feel like, the more I feel like I do live in a sane world, even though insane people still think that they're ruling it. Yeah. You know? They are. Yeah. That's how uh, I just say, as long as we can not have them, as long as they don't nuke us, you know, I feel like I'm really optimistic about things. But, like, I'm just afraid that, like, the powers that be are just going to really fuck things up. But... Um, well, they're well underway. Tell me the other thing, too, that I, I am. I, one, one thing that I am really kind of worried about, and I'm not alone in this, is we don't have that much time to turn like ecological shit around either. Like, yeah. We really don't. The more we, the more we know about what's actually happening, so it's like some some people, and these are people who know what the hell they're talking about, have actually said like we've gone past the point of of necessarily being able to fully fix it or whatnot. Um, and, and then there are some that say that we have X amount of time, and that X amount of time is not that far off. I mean, you know. Some of the time are saying, like, well, give us 25 more years, give us 50 more years or whatever, but we got to turn shit around, you know? Uh, so that, too, I mean, that that being something that, okay, that's not, like, a big instant event, like a nuclear a holocaust or whatnot, but it's, it's something that's actually underway right now, and very few real measures are being taken to make make sure that we're from society you know what i mean i do that's yeah, what i'm just talking about i can tell in your artwork i wanted to actually ask you about that we've got it off on so many other things actually like this is another <laughs> i which is really good this is what i like because i've had two podcasts like this in a row but like one of the questions cool. i did have that i wanted to talk to you about was yeah you you really touch on the environmental part in your in your paintings it's so i mean it's so obvious of course but you can tell how much that that really affects you and uh but you do it you do it in a way that looks beautiful and people will both appreciate the message and appreciate the image, which is really tough to do. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the the way that I, um, the way that I kind of have arrived at that merging of those two things that what I've always liked about like, um, things that I've gravitated to from the past, for instance, I've always had a certain kind of tension to them. Like I've never been much for a painting that's simply, aspiring towards exposing beauty, nor have I ever really been into work that is, strictly speaking, narrative. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, or or what, what I, I guess what I sort of have always found in, in work that I've really liked, which has inspired my own stuff, is that 
there's both, I guess, melancholy. There's a certain sense of sort of sadness or longing or whatever mixed in with hope. It's, it's a strange kind of mix, but I, I find that in, uh, in a lot of, for example, the symbolists uh, who encompass, like there's a guy named uh, Arnold Becklin who did uh, the Isle of the Dead series, for instance. Um, okay. Anyone listening, whatever, just look it up. It's at, you know, 1800s, I can't remember, like 1860 or something like that. He he embarked on doing a few of these, these pieces where, just bringing them up as an example, like what I love about his pieces, for instance, is that they're, they're beautifully painted. Like there's a beautiful sense of real atmosphere, but they're filled with a kind of sense of both nostalgia, but also melancholy, you know, because the idea behind them is to, there's what we see in each of them. He did five different versions and they all look slightly different. Um, is that there's a, you know, this desolate kind of island in the middle and all it is is a, a little boat with sort of a, if you think it's sort of the river man of sticks, like from the old Greek mythology, mm-hmm. seems like it's something like that, like a fairy man taking uh, a casket across to this island. And I, and I think of it and I think like, you know, he's not portraying a real place. He's, he's, he's imagining what it is to feel the such a thing as grieving or mourning and he's describing a kind of uh a, a an imaginary or imagined uh setting for that feeling to take place you know what i mean so it's just like in looking at his paintings and especially knowing what they're called you kind of get a sense like his those pieces to me speak to me of my own personal instances of mourning you know like for for example when i like lost my dad and stuff i was like there's got to be some visual thing to go with this, and this guy captured it very well in the painting. So, so what I, what I why I brought that up is that I kind of in my work I kind of want to straddle both worlds where I'm both it's you know I'm both uh, attempting to create a beautiful aesthetically beautiful. Thing, uh, with with regards to a conscious use of my talents and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'm always trying to keep us aware that there's something opened uh, up like right at the same time. Like there's, there's, cause there's a lot of man-made elements in my work. In fact, most of the, the scenes sort of take place in man-made settings, but it's natural things are, are playing out a, a scene in them, you know, like whatever settings I'm, I'm uh, putting together where this is taking place is they're, they're set by man, man hands. Um, so what I'm trying to kind of point to is this idea that we had some collective part in setting up these, these scenes within which, uh, whatever we're seeing is unfolding, but you know, whatever we're seeing, it's never some idyllic scene. I mean, these aren't, these aren't animals vacationing in resorts <laughs> yeah. that we've built, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's not always, I'm not always pointing to sort of the idea of ecological degradation or anything like that, but I am sometimes like pointing to those things by virtue of, you know, where it's taking place or the animals that I'm putting in there or whatever, but I don't necessarily singularly want to talk about Th- those topics, even though they are kind of an umbrella theme around a lot of my work. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I kind of want to point to a lot of things that have to do with 
the mistakes that we make in our ambition and our greed and our sort of collective ignorance of the world around us, you know? Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's something that I want to have you feel when you look at the work, but I also do want one to feel that there, that there's a certain beauty in them as well. You know, I'm not just about doom and gloom stuff. Uh, no, because there's like a, there's a wolf. What about that wolf one they have lying on some? Like, I don't know. There's a sunset going on in the back, but the, it's a dead wolf and it has flowers coming up out of it. You made a dead wolf yeah. beautiful, and it's that whole idea of like death isn't death. It's it's actually like a birth in a way. I'm assuming is that what that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that's a theme that I return to a lot is also this idea of an allegorical rebirth because I feel that um and this doesn't have to do with just like a physical death, you know, like a mortal death. But I, but I kind of want to point to the idea that sometimes to get to have to let things be destroyed or let things go for new things to be able to flourish. And that goes for a lot of stuff. I mean, it's just that, you know, uh, considering a lot of what we were talking about in the rest of the conversation, too, is like a lot of the, the reason we're in so many different problems as sort of collective species is that we hold on to old uh, obsolete ideas for way too long, and those ideas simply need to die for new ones to be able to kind of take center stage and evolve us forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all those kind of things that I want to kind of point to with those pieces that I do, where I have, you know, death kind of being setting the stage, setting kind of the soil for new birth. Um, so hence I have a lot of like organic things like flowers and stuff growing out of corpse essentially you know <laughs> and to anyone who's like listening to this and doesn't can't actually see my work uh that much really strange but that's, that's really what it is you know again this is why i like doing this because then your paintings come to life like i wondered you know the wolf that was howling that's howling and these mushrooms are these glowing mushrooms coming out of the mouth i was like it looks like psychedelic mushrooms, but I'm not sure. Is this really what the guy's going for? Now I know. The guy likes psychedelic yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, that, 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 was a, that was a pretty recent piece. And honestly, it, was a, it came about as, as a result of my latest mushroom experience. Because I, I remember the next day or, or the night of when I was coming off, I was just thinking, like, look, this is a significant this is a significant experience and, and this, this string of them that I've had, like I need to actually like not be sheepish about it and just put it into my work, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time with, you know, just skirting the risk of not, I just don't want to end up being, uh, doing like visionary work, you know, mm-hmm. in quotation marks, uh, in the sense that I'm not, I'm not out to now like talk about, in my paintings, you know, talk about my psychedelic experiences as if those experiences on their own are what I want to express. It's more like the ideas inherent in them. I mm-hmm. felt that that, uh, that that painting in particular, I was like, you know what? No, I really want to, because it, 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 was, uh, it was actually a tribute to Terrence McKenna. The, the show that, uh, that I was involved in was called, uh, it was based on Nick Cave's song lyric called, um, I love you till the end of the world. Okay. And it was a follow up to the Mayan 21st of December calendar date. So we can't, this show was right after that. And I, and people were doing painting based on essentially us having skirted a perceived apocalypse. Okay. So my thought on it, on, on that piece too, was like I call it the eschaton. And that's something that Terrence McKenna was talking about a lot where he's talking about 
this being essentially end times simply because either we're headed towards a future with a mushroom cloud in a physical sense, or we're headed towards a, an end time with people's minds opening up collectively by virtue of another kind of mushroom, you know? Um, so, and I was like, yeah, you know what, this ties well in with what I've been absorbing as far as mechanic goes as well, but it just so happens that I also just had a significant mushroom experience. So I'm like, you know what, this is going into this painting. So, uh, so yeah, you 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 uh, perceive it right. I mean, some people are like, what are those things? But yeah, you know what? It's it's uh, I just didn't want to didn't want to be too subtle about it this time around. Yeah. So if you're up for it, I would love to hear your. If you want to close it on what your mushroom experience was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why not? I mean, it's, it's coming full circle. So this latest one I did with my my next door neighbor here happens to be one of my best friends too. Um, uh, so he's got a studio right next door to mine, and, and you know, like we we talk a lot anyway about a lot of topics that uh, are sort of inherently outside of the realm of the day to day sort of chatter. Like so we we talk about a lot of stuff, and not just what goes into our work and whatever, but just broader ideas that we can somehow, by virtue of chatting about them, maybe bring some of that into our own pains and such. Mm-hmm. This stuff kind of has to do with uh, a similar kind of mindset where. He paints, you know, he paints human figures in his work, but he, uh, his settings are also very, very much have, have a lot to say about the desolate aspect of urban loneliness, in a way, if that makes any sense. Like, he has a lot of urban scenery, but almost like in an Edward Hopper-ish fashion. It's like the, the, the figures in his work are kind of, you can tell that they're struggling with the, with the sense of where they're placed. And they, they, they act in the, I'm sorry. Adam Miller. Adam Miller, uh, okay. Go to adammillerart.com. Okay. And I don't think he'd mind me talking about um, the fact that we should take mushrooms together because <laughs> he's sort of pretty open about it too. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was funny. I kind of introduced him to mushrooms because I knew he was very well primed for it and he'd been looking forward to kind of going down that into that realm for a while. Um, so we had done one before, but I just don't think we doing the proper dose. Like this time we went with McKenna's uh, idea of the heroic dose. No. So we, uh, <laughs> we threw ourselves into it properly. You know, in the sense that I, I, I had a good feeling about the ones we had anyway, just that, that I knew we were on the right track. But we, uh, the way we did it was, you know, this is how we tend to do it too, is we just had a, you know, my studio, it, it feels like a very comfortable, safe place in the sense that it's just kind of, you don't hear your neighbors a lot and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, we just set it up. We ha- we took them, and then I, I realized at one point that this is this is definitely the one that's going to show Adam the the full potential of this thing. Because we went <laughs> deep, man. This was like this was straight up like uh, ninth dimension type of shit. Like, this was <laughs> really great. But what uh, essentially, I mean, there's not much to say other than. Um, the fact that, I mean, I, for one, like found myself right back in that. I, I, I can only really describe it as kind of like a, a beautiful garden, even though I had, I have some house plants around, but there's not really anything garden like about my studio, but everything kind of takes on the feeling of the organic, you know, like, like I think for both of us, we just realized that cause the way we set it up too, which I'm almost partial to is you just set up candle light. So you only have natural light that's 
infiltrating your space. Excellent. And natural blood being, you know, fire. So I just feel like like that kind of set the the right vibe for the whole thing anyway. But it just absolutely everything, like everything just turned on the sense that it's it's growing. Like even the most uh inanimate things around me just have that nice sense of living, breathing entity to it, you know? Wow. And I and yeah. I can only ever feel like and describe it to be the sense that, and a lot of people echo me in, in this, but I feel like it's almost like the mushroom entity is kind of present and it's and it reveals itself in everything around you, in, in, which is why it kind of always points to the idea that, that certain substances like psychedelics, especially, they, they, they do point to the unity of things. They kind of like, you start feeling like, wait, I'm made of the same fabric as everything else. Like it, it just it just happens that its current incarnation happens to be this solid table in front of me or this window that I can peer through or whatever, but at the end of the day, we're made of the same matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's so hard, again, it's so hard to fully articulate it well, but we kind of just feel like everything is just in this transient time state that we're in happens to take on this shape. You know, in this shape, this function, whatever, you know. Um, but anyway, that's essentially what would end up um, coming out of that. A- after a while, I mean, initially, it's always plunged. You end up in this very mystical kind of like wonderland of sorts. But then uh, what ended up being like, this this was what made it such a profound thing for me, which is why I thought that you could just get picked with very much care who you do them with. But um, Adam and I ended up in this dialogue back and forth where every time one of us would start talking, we we I can't fully remember what it was that we said at each instance, but it all had to do with the essentially the absolute wonder at just life itself, just just being alive and just having like just being able to experience something like this. But every time each of us would open our mouths to speak, we kind of took on. We got actually very a lot of this to each other. And only to reveal later that this is what was happening for Adam as well as myself is that whenever one of us would start speaking, we would kind of take on forms of gurus of sorts. So I would see when he would start speaking, you know, I would see variations on a theme, but I would see him as Buddha. I would see him essentially as a Jesus figure. It would just go between all those different things that, you know, if we think of what's been archetypally ingrained in us as the wise being. That's what Adam, that, that's the kind of archetype that Adam would take on. What was interesting is as soon as I would respond to something he said and take off, take up, he would say the same thing. Like he, he was just like, holy shit, like you have a, you have a halo behind you. Like, like, wow. like, and, and all those things, like at every instance, again, this is not me all of a sudden seeing him turn into fucking Mickey Mouse. You know, like, I would see, because of the words coming out of his mouth, I felt that he became sort of a channel for some type of very old wisdom. And these are still words coming with Adam's voice and whatnot, but I feel like because we're in that state of mind, it just, it's going to sound so outlandish, but I feel like we actually did sort of channel something more primordial in what was coming out and how we were perceiving one another as we were saying it, because it's a shared experience that, the fact that we would both experience it the same way, but just seeing one another rather than just one person having this perception. I think that that just, it just had so much to, for, to say to me afterwards, too, about like 
what a beautiful thing it is to really fully put yourself there with somebody else who you trust and stuff. Because you start realizing that two people having essentially the exact same experience, that's a bizarre thing. It's a very yeah. weird thing that, that it just simply enforces the idea that, no, there it really is something going on here that, that can't be explained away as simply your neurology being scrambled around a little because you put some substance in your body. Like, I guess in tapping it off, it was just, it was, it was just great. Cause towards the end, when you're coming back out of essentially a very, very deep, weird place where it's hard to put things into words and all that other stuff is on the other side, when you're coming down, you're starting to piece things together a lot better even. And I feel like that's, that's the most beautiful part of the whole thing. Cause you start realizing like, man, like I can't wait to get back to my, my regular life with this new experience behind me. because it really like enforces so much of the goodness and the beauty and all that shit that I've hold very dear in my life but sometimes I may forget about it a little bit because there's some really really beautiful things to be found when we don't necessarily have to look for them uh, outside of ourselves like you, you really can just have it when you have a real moment like that with with somebody you love you know what I mean man gotta say that was one for the book so I, that's, that's why it's like, I, haven't, I haven't scrambled to get back to it right away because I feel like, again, like the work I have to do with it is in contemplating it afterwards. And hence it's been a few months, you know, I, I, I love the shit out of those experiences, but I want to respect them enough that they, they become almost sacred moments throughout, throughout my life, you know? Yeah. I love it. I love when you said that your, your, um, studio became like a garden. That yeah, to me yeah, yeah. is like this, it's a very inspiring kind of idea. Like this idea that you are, you know, you're growing things like paintings, I guess, because you like your creation of a painting is like the growth of a plant in a way to me. Like, does that yeah. kind of what you took from that? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Except that, um, what's funny is that see, it wasn't a matter of me looking at paintings around me and then feeling like, wait, this is sort of a, a flourishing garden because of these paintings. And in fact, the paintings became just, more of the background fixtures in in my studio. It's 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 almost as if so absolutely everything around me warranted my attention as long as I decided to give it to it. So so I mean I, I remember at one point just out of curiosity I went and looked at a piece I was working on and I realized that it got reduced to essentially just a color field with beautiful things going on on the color field but not but the 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 actual painting itself as a painting was no more interesting you see what i'm saying like it's more, so. more like the brush stroke the paint itself became alive you know and, and whatever i painted on that surface wasn't really it's not like like foxes jumped right out and came and like started hanging out I mean, it's, it's more like the, the paint strokes on that fox's fur for instance was like that's what that's what spoke to me because it, it's all it, it all comes alive because that's the thing. Like it's it's even as simple as like the wood grain on my floor. Um, because I, I, whoever was in here before me had um had a funny habit of painting all over my studio, and then the the management company never never bothered to actually sand it off or anything. So I have essentially like Jackson Pollock on my floor all oh, over. Wow. <laughs> um, but 
it's sitting on like wood grains. It's a normal hardwood floor, but then there are all these paint splatters here and there. And no joke, man, like they became like cave paintings to me. Like they, they would essentially made off the floor. And and again, like talking with Adam about this, I was like, Jesus, man, are you seeing these cave paintings? And, the, it, and it, it, that too, that had this like primordial feel to it. Like we're, we're in an old cave garden. You know what I mean? Even though we're in my goddamn studio that I'm in every day. There's those funny kind of, geez, the word, like the archetypes from some distant past that I think play very heavily into those experiences. Whether I compel them or not, I'm not conjuring them up because I'm like consciously thinking this is where I'm going. It's almost as if it's just inherently programmed into that experience. Um Damn, dude, that's yeah. deep. That is deep, and I love that. That was that's actually a really, really cool experience. But yeah, this nice. has been super interesting, man. This has been great. Uh, thanks so much for for doing this. Yeah, no, likewise, man. This is super fun. <laughs>